Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the first of a number of podcasts looking at the experience of black researchers in science and technology. With me to explore some of the issues is Sigourney Bonner, co-founder of Black in Cancer and a PhD student at Cancer Research UK. Sigourney Bonner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute delight. So to start off, what is Black in Cancer and why did you set it up? Sure. So Black in Cancer is an organisation essentially with the mission of increasing the number of Black cancer researchers um, and also just with the aim of increasing the awareness and knowledge about cancer within the Black community. So initially, my co-founder and I met on Twitter and you know, we were looking for community in, in the midst of lots of things that were happening during 2020. And we ended up having a conversation about what it meant to be a Black cancer researcher and kind of experienced two real challenges. One was being the only one in a space, not having people around you who represented you or gave you visibility about where you could go. And the other part was being this fount of knowledge for our own communities. So as many cancer researchers know, you're often the person that people ask, like, oh, well, you know, what about, you know, my aunt's cousin's this has been diagnosed with that. Like, what should I do? And it's really hard to answer those questions, particularly when you're not a clinician or a physician. So you end up being this font of knowledge and you really don't have all of the answers. You know, I work in pediatric brain tumors. So when, you know, my aunt asked me about her breast cancer diagnosis, there's only so much I can do. So we wanted to create this network that meant that we knew where to get the information from. We readily access information from people who look like us. And so we kind of realized that that was what we needed to do. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to ask you about the researcher side in a minute, but since you've been talking about the community more generally, are there differences then in the experiences of Black people who have cancer compared with people from other ethnic groups? Yeah, so there have been a number of reports, and this just isn't a UK issue, you know, as many will know, it's a US issue, but in also many other places. But if we think specifically about the UK, Black women uh, have a 30% higher mortality rate from breast cancer. They're more likely to be diagnosed later um, with a kind of more aggressive form. Um, they're more likely to have triple negative breast cancer, which often has worse outcomes. Um, we think about Black men and they're more likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer. So just thinking about the just the diagnosis point, there's clear disparities when it comes to some cancers. But then when we think about the outcomes of those patients, the mortality rates, um, they're just much higher for the Black community. And that can be a number of reasons, whether that's right from being diagnosed later because they've not been heard when they've gone to the clinic or when they've gone to their doctors for diagnosis. They're more likely to be diagnosed during an emergency state. So, you know, in A&E with symptoms rather than kind of through earlier screenings. You know, there's a number of things along the way that impact particularly Black cancer patients' journey um, and therefore their likelihood to survive their cancer. Well, those are some sobering thoughts and it makes it even more important then to have Black people in the research community who understand some of these issues. So let's think then about Black researchers working in cancer and working more generally across mm -hmm. UK science and technology. What sort of information do we have about Black researchers within the UK S&T community? Sure. So we know that between maybe undergraduate and then kind of this postgraduate level of education, particularly within STEM, that there is a huge drop off. 
Um, so there often there are a lot of students who make it through an undergraduate degree, although they're less likely to go to a Russell Group University. Then there's a lot of data about grade disparities um, in that students who come in with a particular set of A-levels are often predicted what they'll get in their degree by the end. But actually, that doesn't track through usually or in some situations for black students. And you wonder what, why those, so a lot of work has been done to understand why those things happen along the way, particularly by organiza organizations like Leading Roots, um, doing a lot of work on that. So throughout this, what we what's known as the pipeline, you have this huge drop off and those that make it through PhD into postdoctoral level, there's still a drop off and then another drop off again when it comes to the kind of professorial level. And um, it's known that there are dire statistics across every research area when it comes to the number of black professors in the UK. Well, let's look at that pipeline and, and you know, given that it is such a small number that end up as a professorial level, what is it? And it's a number of factors, I'm, I'm assuming, but but. Do we have an issue with promotion? Do we have an issue with retention? Do we have an issue with implicit or explicit racism? What's what's going on here? So you're absolutely right. It's a number of issues uh, and it can't just be attributed to one thing, but there are certainly some that kind of play bigger roles than others. I mean, if we talk right from the beginning in terms of before you even get there is seeing somebody who looks like you so that you know what's possible. And I think that, I mean, I often tell this anecdote, which is when I was a child, my mom asked me what I wanted to be. And I said, I wanted to be an air hostess. That was like my dream. And she was like, well, why do you want to be an air hostess? And I was like, because I, I love being on planes. I love, you know, traveling to new places. Um, and she was like, I think that you should also pursue something academic and so on and so forth. I mean, I loved science anyway, so it was a, it was a clear uh, direction for me. But actually, a few years ago, I asked her, um, you know, do, do you remember that conversation? She was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I said to her, well, why didn't you suggest being a pilot? And she was like, oh, I just didn't didn't really think about it. And it was because she didn't see anybody who looked like me or like us doing that. And it's such a subconscious thing. It's not necessarily a conscious decision of those people don't look like me. Therefore, I can't do that. It's just you don't even think that it's possible. So we have this phrase that I can cancel that you can't be what you can't see, or certainly that it's a lot harder to be that if you don't already see it yourself. So that can play a huge role in just even the transition between undergraduate and postgraduate in terms of seeing black people doing PhDs and thinking that's a thing for you that you can do, that that's possible. So there's those things that kind of play real big roles early on. But then, you know, there are those who see that and want to pursue it irrespective. And then when they're in those spaces, it's things like sense of belonging. If the environment doesn't make you feel like you belong, it's hard to succeed there. If people don't understand you, whether that's culturally or, or from any other aspect, it can make being in that space uncomfortable. And often we know how long we spend in work every day, particularly how long academics spend in work, which is even longer. It then you know, creates this huge challenge if you don't feel like you can be yourself in those spaces, um, whether that's things like microaggressions, et cetera. You know, there's things like you know, implicit bias has and always will exist but it's whether we're actively choosing to do something about it, to identify our own implicit biases and decide that actually, here's what we're gonna do to make sure that we're not doing that. And that can impact on black researchers along the way, whether that's you know, an academic looking at a CV from somebody who's applied and has said, oh, actually they didn't go to a Russell group, therefore 
Now, if black students are more likely to go to non-Russell Group universities, immediately you're knocking those out. You know, we know all the stats around if you put a different name on your application, so on and so forth. All of those things just play a role and they begin to play a bigger and bigger role as you go later and later down the pipeline. And then, you know, there are plenty of examples of, you know, just explicit racism within the workplace um, and how that can impact, particularly when it gets to those professorial levels and how heavily that relies on recommendation from others and those networks of researchers that are not always spaces where Black researchers are invited. So with such a range of contributory causes, there's also going to be a range of organisations who can play some kind of role in moving us in the right direction without pretending that it's some kind of switch that you change over and everything's wonderful again. Mm -hmm. Um, But it'd just be worth exploring what some of these contributions can be made. And I'm I'm interested what you think. I mean, let's take funders, for example. So most research funding in the UK comes from public sources, which eventually fund through UKRI. But there's also Mm -hmm. large research charities like the one you work in, Cancer Research UK, Wellcome Trust Mm -hmm. and so on. So what do you think the role of research funders is in this whole space? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely speak to what we're doing at Black and Cancer in our collaboration with Cancer Research UK, who um, have really taken a real stand and a stand out as an organisation who are being transparent about things that have happened in the past and where they're hoping to move and have, you know, what I see as a, a really good strategy moving forward for their equality. So they they went through and looked at actually how many black researchers do we fund? How many black PhDs do we fund? And being transparent about that and being like, do you know what? Here's where we currently are. We don't know where we can improve to if we don't know where we are currently. Um, So they've done all of that work and have been like, do you know what? This is not good enough. Um, So I think just reflecting on the problem, identifying where you are in that space is already a great start. I mean, we do that in terms of, you know, the gender equality pay gap, et cetera. So we should be doing it in other spaces. Then when we think about, for example, they looked at from the different minorities or different kind of race populations, how many do we, how many applications do we get? How many of those are successful at kind of the application stage versus, you know, after the interview stage, et cetera. And looking at why maybe those things don't correlate. Is there something in the middle between the number of applications that we get and their success rates that actually that can't purely be down to just, oh, they aren't, they all aren't good enough. There has to be something else in that process that may be implicit biases that we can work towards changing. And I know that there's a lot to be said. There have been lots of conversations about positive action. Um, and that's something that CRUK have taken on alongside us at Black and Cancer. So whether that's them hosting and funding our Black and Cancer Conference, which we held in collaboration with them this year, um, and their support from our previous Black and Cancer Weeks to just highlight more Black cancer researchers. I mean, often people say like, oh, well, like we just didn't have anybody. We didn't we didn't know anybody. It's like, okay, well, now we're creating this platform where we're all together. So there's bound to be somebody in your space that you can be like, actually, you might be appropriate for this role. I'm going to invite you to interview so on and so forth. And then around this pipeline thing is, you know, increasing the number of researchers. So, you know, we have a collaboration with them around, you know, the PhD scholarships. Um, and we have a collaboration with another organization around postdoctoral awards. So just really positive action, I think, is a, is a huge thing. And I wanted to ask you sort of one step above that PhD postdoc level mm-hmm. is 
traditional grant winning and the whole peer review process. Mm-hmm. Is this an area where there are problems that need to be addressed? And, and can we tease some of those out a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've had um, a number of journals have conversations with us or have emailed us and have been like, you know, can we get in contact with your, you know, the network of black PhDs, postdocs and beyond so that we can have, we have people that we can ask to peer review publications because actually we don't have anybody in this space or thinking about editors in of journals um, and then encouraging more people from other backgrounds to come in to be able to edit those journals in the first place and that peer review process and to think about it in a more holistic way. So that's certainly something that's been highlighted. And I know that a lot of organizations or particular journals are, are trying to do more about, obviously there's always more that can be done, but yeah, certainly there's there's space in there for that. Well, let's look at one other aspect of this, which is the sort of the culture aspect within universities. And the majority of researchers in the UK are working within a university environment. What's the what's the role of universities in sort of trying to set this culture and and how well are they doing, do you think? I think there is 100 percent a role for universities to to set this. You know, if that's where majority of the research is happening, they have the ability to kind of really set the guidelines and the precedent for what happens within those spaces, because ultimately they're the ones with control outside of, you know, funding bodies and and grants and stuff. Unless you have an institution to do that work at, it's irrelevant whether you can bring in the money. So I think that universities definitely have a space that they can tackle this. And I think that certainly with making Black researchers within those spaces, I mean, there's, there's a real dichotomy for making them more visible, but then also feeling invisible at the same time. And certainly when there's few of them, they then become the face, which often can be a challenge in itself. Um, You get called on for everything. And then that takes away from you just wanting to be a scientist and do your work. So there's definitely a challenge when it comes to that. But I think, I mean, lots of universities are doing things around widening participation and making other universities feel like they are spaces that people from other backgrounds can belong. Um, But I think universities need to think about it's all well and good getting people to apply and being like, you know, you you're, you belong here based on pictures and prospectuses, but what are they doing for those students when they're in there? And if they do report that they've experienced some form of prejudice or racism, what's being really done about that? And are we holding those who are in senior positions just because they bring in a lot of money? Um, are we holding them to account in those positions? Because if we're not, it's irrelevant because those students don't feel safe. And I guess one of the questions for me, if you look at both funding organisations and universities, they have a number of different challenges, a number of different levers that are being pulled, a number of things that they're trying to worry about and and to make progress on. How do we get this particular issue higher up their agenda? No, I think that that's probably the the million dollar question. You have to have people who are, the biggest thing is allies and advocates. It's really hard to be, I mean, for what we do as Black and Cancer as an organization, we have to ask that there are people in rooms that we're not in advocating for us who are mentioning the work that we do and how impactful that they think it is and how useful that they think it is and speaking on our behalf. And unless people are doing that and are thinking about how they can be good advocates, it's going to be a challenge. We're just going to be knocking on a door that's not going to open. So I think people in those positions, whether that's 
you know, people who are in policy or in government or whichever positions they're in, chancellors of universities, for example, just really thinking about the impact that that has and that there are people who who want to, they want to be scientists, they want to fulfill their dream of, you know, being um, and participating in science in this space. And the UK is a fantastic place to do science. I mean, I'm at Cambridge, it's one of the best places in the world to do groundbreaking science, and a lot comes out of here. But unless you're making it a conducive environment for everybody that they feel a sense of belonging, they feel safe, and they're just able to focus on their work and do what they want to do, you know, they won't be able to. So I think it's about being in those spaces and those who are in positions to, it might be uncomfortable, but to put yourself out there and to advocate for those who don't have a space in the room to advocate for themselves. Well, let's for the moment assume that they do, and let's put a positive hat on. How can you see this agenda moving forward over the next five years? Where do you think uh, we could get to in, in five or so years' time? I mean, certainly in increasing the pipeline. I mean, what we've been doing as an organization is like, you know, we have a mentorship scheme and just seeing the stats from students who, before they started on our program, were like, I'm not sure if I want to do a PhD. I'm not sure if this is the space I want to be in to being maybe 40% were like, maybe I want to do a PhD, but I'm unsure to now 80% of our students are like, yeah, I want to do a PhD and I've made the decision. And the remainder have made a decision otherwise, but are now better informed as to why they might want to do that. So I think, you know, just really looking at how you can support students all the way through. I mean, certainly looking at how the grade disparity, particularly at undergraduate level, can have a huge impact on your ability to pursue a career in academia, for sure. And I know that it did for me in terms of me being able to start my PhD. So I think just thinking about it from all aspects, because there must be action plans already. There must have been conversations in rooms, but often it's a lot of talk and actions aren't taken. So dig those files back out. Think about what you had thought about in terms of taking action on those things and put yourself out there and take action. Well, in terms of taking action, let's finish off with uh, where we started, which was Black in Cancer. What are your next moves as an organisation? Sure. So we're kind of on this big upward trajectory right now, um, which has been incredible. So we're just about to embark on the second year of our mentorship program with students from the UK and the US. We're in the midst of you know, selecting for our postdoctoral awards for next year and our Distinguished Investigator Awards. So really just empowering Black students across the pipeline, Black postdocs and those who are already in those positions and highlighting them, just making sure that they're visible, that they're seen, the work that they're doing is incredible, and making sure it's continuing to be seen. But also expanding our cancer awareness project, um, and that's something that's really close to our hearts as an organization in terms of just making sure that people are informed and empowered about their healthcare decisions. So, you know, continuing to reach out to the community, giving talks from both kind of the patient, the researcher, and the clinician's perspective, so that people can see that there is positivity on the other side of a cancer diagnosis that it doesn't mean death but maybe here's some of the questions you can ask just helping people to be informed about what their next steps are um, so that we can increase survival and, and people know you know what they're doing in terms of okay I've had this thing maybe I should 
go to the doctor and being informed about being diagnosed and, and all of those things and, and helping people to survive their cancer. Well, that's a really inspiring set of things you've been talking about. And I wish you all the best in uh, getting on with that and all the best to your colleagues in black and cancer. That's all we've got time for today on the podcast. But uh, Sigona Bonner, thank you very much. My pleasure. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Sigourney Bonner, co-founder of Black in Cancer and a PhD student with Cancer Research UK. Sigourney is also a speaker at a Foundation for Science and Technology event on the 7th of December entitled Black Scientists Tackling Racism in UK Science and Technology. Details of that event, which is free to attend either in person or online, can be found at www.foundation.org.uk forward slash events. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, all our journals, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.